0: Okay, let's look at the Book of Esther. Has anyone read the Book of Esther before? Before School of the Bible, that is. Okay. Just remember that the king was very spoiled. He was. I don't he don't was. Wife <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> okay. So the Book of Esther, it's a very different book. Right? It's almost like it's it's a drama, soapy in Scripture, for the sake of it. You know, sometimes you read it and you're like, okay, but what's the point of all of this? Um, and some people actually do wonder why it's part of the canon of Scripture. Why do you guys think that some people think this book should not be part of the Bible? Because it, it doesn't mention God, right? Have you guys men- have you noticed that reading through Esther, it does not mention God at all, right? He is not mentioned in the, in the whole book, and so let's look at it. Let's discuss and see what we find. So let me give you the characters and then give you an overview of what happens. And then we'll look at some of the themes and things that we can take away from this book. So there is a decree of Cyrus. And so the Jews are allowed to go home, but many didn't go home. And so you had, you had Jews living throughout the empire, right? Throughout all of the Greenland that you see over there. <coughs> And what happens is, if you read the book of Acts, right, you'll notice that Paul can go anywhere, and there will be a synagogue, right? There will be a Jewish synagogue. Have you noticed that? How did the Jews manage to have synagogues everywhere? It's during this time, right, because they were dispersed along the land, and so um, during the diaspora, the exile throughout history, as Jews moved, uh, as they moved around, they would con- they'd form a community. And then they'd set up a synagogue, right? And in the bigger scheme of things, it's the Lord really preparing a way for the new covenant, right? Preparing uh, the way for the work of Paul and the apostles. Because as you read the book of Acts, you see that's where they went. That's where Christianity kind of spread, right? So uh, where all the action happens in this book is in a place called Susa, the Jewish community. It's right over there. And we have four main characters. There's the title character, there's Esther. Uh, Esther becomes queen to the Persian king, whose name is Ahasuerus. But she keeps her Jewish descent a secret, right? And one day she learns about a plot to kill all the Jews in the Persian provinces. And she uses her position as queen to intercede on behalf of the people. And so she saves her people, right? And then you get Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Esther is an orphan, and so Mordecai had raised her as his own daughter, right? So he's a father figure to her, uh, advising and informing her what to do, what not to do throughout the story. Then you get Haman, right? Haman is the villain of the story. He's an enemy of God's people. He's an enemy of the Jews. He rises to power in Susa, but Mordecai refuses to bow down to him, And so Haman escalates the conflict by getting the king to sign an edict to kill all the Jews in the empire, right? He wants to eradicate all of God's people. And then you get King Ahasuerus, right? Um, So he dethrones Queen Vashti, his queen, one day when she publicly disobeys him at his banquet. He then brings on Esther as his new queen, and Ahasuerus is a very reactive guy, right? seems like a very... Uh, kind of emotional guy, you know, whatever's happening in the situation, he just goes extreme direction, you know, and does whatever he feels. Uh, so he seems like a very volatile guy. <clears throat> and which is crazy and scary considering how much power he has. I mean, he's in charge of the whole empire. He's king over 127 provinces, right? So those are the four main characters. And when you read this book, there's really a lot of humor and irony that you'll find in the book of Esther. Somebody said, you must pity the theologians who can't even laugh when they read the book of Esther. Right? It's really a nice story. It's a nice story, and it's very ironic. There's a lot of like humorous things that happen. But this book, right, to the Jewish community, to Jews, for many of them, it's one of the greatest books in the Old Testament. Right? And why would they say that? Purim. The what? Purim. The Purim. Yeah. So the Purim festival came from the events of this this book, but bigger than that, why do you think they hold it so so dear and important to them? exactly because of that so they would have been eradicated they would have been exterminated if the events of the book had happened had Haman won right so for them they see it as them being delivered by by, by Esther from their enemies right they were preserved because they were in danger of being completely wiped out, wiped out and annihilated as a people group and yet in God's providence he preserves them right so the Jewish people see it like that And from this book, like uh, Sabedo said, comes what's called the Festival of Purim, or sometimes I think it's called the Festival of Lots as well. It's the only festival uh, that is not in scripture that is part of the Jewish calendar, right? So that's how significant it is to Jewish people today. So what happens? Let's go to chapter one. There's this king, a very powerful king named Ahasuerus. He's in charge of 127 provinces, and he hosts a party that is like six months long. And in the account... The king, yeah, and in the account, the king, he deposes or he dethrones his queen, Queen Vashti, when she publicly disobeys him at his party, right? So he was drunk and he wanted to parade her in front of the guest, but she, she refuses to be publicly display, displayed and gazed at by drunk men. And so the king is angry, he's enraged, and he decides to go and find another queen, right? So the king's men... Come to the king and say, you know what? Let's find all the attractive virgins in the kingdom. You can sleep with them and find out which one you like best. And this idea pleased the king. Right? Of course, he would please a very pagan, worldly person like that. Right? Um, but you notice, uh, but notice what you don't see about Esther. Because Esther starts off as just a beauty queen. Right? She's, she's essentially a sex symbol. Um, there is no holiness, you're not going to come to the book of Esther and say, uh, guys, you know, we need to emulate Esther, you know, she's the example to follow, even though, like, I think you, if you read or you hear a lot of people speak about the book, you know, she's seen as the heroine and whatever, but she's not actually an upstanding moral character that you can look at and be like, that's, you know, a great example. Uh, she's not exactly a woman characterized by faith, Right. So here's this Jewish girl raised by a cousin, Mordecai, and they live in this liberal culture at the time in Persia, and there was a lot of freedom, so you could go and worship your God. Uh, It's not a bad culture, it's not a horrible culture to be part of, uh, but what is the danger there? The danger is that you will assimilate to the culture, right? You'll become prone to pagan ways, you'll be drawn towards, uh, towards idolatry and forsaking the Lord, and in Revelation, when we get there, we'll see that that's one of Satan's ways to destroy the church, right? He's to try to get her to assimilate to the culture. It's either that, or sometimes he uses persecution. Uh, In Esther, you will see both. So chapter two, we find Mordecai. And who is Mordecai? Verse five, now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jeh, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives. So Mordecai, he was a Benjaminite, a son of Kish, right? Who else was a Benjaminite and a son of Kish? Saul. Was Saul, right? So King Saul was also Benjaminite, son of Kish. Verse eight, so when the king's order and his edicts were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her, and her young women to the best place in the in the harem. So Esther is willing to go and uh, be a beauty queen and sleep with the king and marry him, even though he's an unbeliever, a pagan. Verse 10: Esther had not made known, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Right, so Mordecai told Esther to not tell people that she was Jewish. right? And so she's made queen. And in chapter 3, we meet Haman. Verse 1, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. So Haman is an Agagite, right? He's a descendant of Agag. Does that name ring a bell? Do you guys remember who Agag was? Saul is a descendant of the Malachites, right? It's from the Malachites. Uh, he was king. So Agag was king of the Malachites, right? And remember what Saul, what did Saul do? Or well, what did Saul not do? Kill, Kill the Malachites, right? Um, and so you, you can see like the direct consequences of Saul's disobedience all those years before, right? Because Saul actually spared Agag's life in all those, all those years back. And now he has one of his descendants and this descendant is going to be the one who's going to try to eliminate all of the Israelites, right? Yeah. Sure. É isso Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, and yeah, the Amalekites have been there, even during the time of David, right? Like David was constantly at war with the Amalekites. So they are problem people for God's people. And even now, right, uh, we have Haman, right, who hates the Jews and he wants to kill them. And all this because Saul did not do his job properly and obey the Lord. So Mordecai in this setting is a seed of the woman. And Uh, because he's a member of the covenant community, right? And Haman is the seed of the serpent. He's an enemy of God's people. So when Haman is promoted by the king, Mordecai refuses to bow down to him, right? And so Haman gets offended, and Haman finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And so now he wants to kill all Jewish people, and he sets his, his own plan to get them all eradicated. So he wants to wipe out not only the Jews in Susa, but... Uh, the decree that is issued is to kill the Jews throughout the entire empire, right? Uh, to To exterminate all the Jews in the world. So verse 13 says, letters, verse 13 of chapter three, letters were sent by Koreas to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So he wants to put an end to the Israeli nation, to eradicate them. And what would the application be for the New Testament? Well, it's God's people, right? People want to destroy the church, the people of God. Uh, We can thank the Lord that here we're able to worship freely. You know, we're able to meet as a church and pretty much do what we want. But even today, the Christian church is persecuted and intensely persecuted and Christians are being killed. Right. So Mordecai learns about this plot to exterminate the Jews. So in chapter 4, he goes to Esther and he says, Look, we need your help. We need to stop this from happening. Right? So she says, if I go to this king and he doesn't lift his scepter, then I'm in trouble. I can be put to death if I go to him and try to get him to stop this. Right? So Mordecai says to her, verse 4, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So you can see Mordecai's faith, right? He says to Esther, God will preserve his people. Even if you die, he will preserve his people. And who knows, you might have come to the kingdom for this very thing, right? You might have been made queen for this very reason. God might have brought brought you here for such a time as this. Which is, I think, a really good phrase, something to keep in mind, right? For such a time as this. Why do you live now? Why were you born and you live and you are where you are today? You know? You know when people say, oh, I was born in the wrong era, uh, belonged back in the 1950s, or, you know, when men were still gentlemen and women were still this. uh, Well, the truth is you belong in this time, right? You were made for such a time as this. Um, None of this, I'm an old soul There's a reason why you live now, right? At this moment in time in history, in this city, right? Attending this church, uh, studying where you're studying, working where you're working, living where you're living, right? It's because the Lord will use you, right? He will use you. Uh, he will use your gifts, your talents. He will use what he's called you to do. And he will use it for the building of his kingdom, right? So we have purpose. God has given his people purpose, right? So Esther says, verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the King though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so Esther is a type of Christ in that she's willing to die for the sake of a people, right? She's behaving like Christ. I will lay down my life for the sake of Christ's people. And so, in chapter five, she prepares a banquet and she invites the king and Haman. And from verse nine, Haman begins to work on his gallows, right? He's building gallows so that he can hang his mortal enemy, Mordecai. And he makes it like super high. I think it's like 35 meters high. Right? And I think the, the reason for that is to just to make it public, you know, like so everyone can see that I'm hanging this man that I really hate. <clears throat> so he really hates Mordecai. And so things are not good for the Jews right? They're not look, it's not looking good. With this decree, they will not survive. They will be eradicated. In chapter 6 is where the fate of the Jews changes. So it says, verse 1, on that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Verse 2, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the king gets these archives, these files, and he reads them because he can't sleep. You know? So he's thinking, like, if I read this, then I'll fall, to, fall asleep. It's like students with their textbooks. And he finds out about Mordecai and how Mordecai had actually, had actually saved his life by exposing an assassination attempt. Right? Mordecai, the one day he was just sitting, and then he overheard a conversation by these eunuchs and... Uh, he went and told Esther and then he told Esther, right? Yeah, told Esther and then, you know, saved the king's life in doing that. The king the king did not know this up until this point. And so the king says, verse three, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Right? So has Mordecai been honored for what he did? And they say, No, he was never honored. But then Haman shows up, he walks in. And so the king asks him, Haman, what would you you do for a guy who needs to be honored, right? And Haman thinks, oh, the king's talking about me. You know, I'm going to be honored. So when really the king is talking about his enemy. So Haman says, I would get everyone to bow down before that man. And verse 8, let royal royal robes be brought, uh, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over, to one of the king's most noble officials, let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him through, on the horse through the square of the city, right? So it's like, parade this man, like honor him, shout him with praise, you know, <laughs> he deserves it. And the king says, all right, please go and do that to Mordecai, right? <laughs> dress him in robes and give him a parade through the square. So Haman is humiliated, right? He ends up having to bow down to Mordecai, the one he hates. And even when you read the passage, like it tells you just how... Uh, how he responded to it, right? He, he was basically mourning. It's like, it's like he died. And so then in chapter 7, Esther exposes Haman's plan to the king, the plan to eradicate the Jews. Verse 4, for we, have, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then, the, then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, "Who is he, and where is he? Who has dared to do this?" And Esther said, "A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman." Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So the king hears this and is furious. Right? He walks outside into the courtyard, and Haman is upset and scared for his life. So he goes to Esther and he grabs hold of her on the couch, begging for mercy. Then the king walks in and he's like are you trying to harm my wife as well? You know, like he just walks in at the wrong, uh, at the right time, wrong time, depending on who you are. Um, walks in and he sees uh, 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 Haman with his, with his wife, with the queen, and thinks that he's trying to assault her. And he says, you know what? You can be hanged in the gallows that you have built. And so they go out and they hang Haman, right? And you see this irony going on all over the place. Um, and in one sense, you see how the plan for the seed of the serpent to kill the seed of the woman backfires, right? It's like Christ and the devil. So remember, the devil thought that he had won, right? He thought that we're putting Christ to death. he was really killing God, right? When really he was setting up and sealing his own fate and was helping secure the victory for God's people, right? And in the same way, Haman ends up clothing in royal robes, his own enemy, right? When he planned that for himself, he ends up being hung on the very gallows that he had built for his enemy. <clears throat> and then the, the king says uh, to Esther, because remember, Esther was pleading for the king to uh, take away this law. The king says, look, I can't revoke my law. Uh, I can't undo the edict against the Jews. Right? So legally, the Jews can be attacked and killed. But he says, I will make a new law that they can defend themselves whenever they are attacked and they can plunder those who attack them. Right, so this news gets to the Jewish people and the people rejoice. Right, uh, Verse 15 of chapter 8. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reach, reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. So, um, so now Mordecai is powerful in the land, right? He's risen up to kind of take over from where Haman was, and the king now favors the Jews. So the Jewish people rejoice because their enemies would now be afraid of them. They have the, the political and um, the military power of the king on their side right? So the enemies would now be afraid to attack them, and the nations become so fearful that they start to pass, themso- they pass themselves off as Jewish. They're like, no, we're also Jewish, you know, so don't do anything to us. And that day becomes one of feasting and gladness, and that's where the, f- the festival of Purim comes from, right? That's the orig- origins of it. Then chapter 9, verse 22, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor, right? So to the, to the Jews today, this is one of the greatest holidays. Um, they give gifts to one another. They celebrate. And the rabbis, Jewish rabbis, teach that uh, obviously you can drink wine, right? But on this day, on, on this day they tell their congregation that you can drink so much wine that you, you, can, you can't even tell the difference between Haman and Mordecai, right? Like they, they encourage people to just go all out. Um, that's what they say. So what is the purpose of this book, right? A book where God is not even mentioned. Um, I think the main takeaway is God's providence, right? The more God is not mentioned, the more obvious it is that he's there, Right? The whole book kind of hinges on, like, these small little moments where, you know, it had to be, you know, you look at it and you're like, it had to be God. You know, like, it's just one of those things. Um, Haman overhears, like, he's just sitting and then he overhears a conversation, a plot to kill the king, right? Uh, the king can't sleep. And so he goes through the archives. And even then, they open the archives. It's like a library of the, the, the nation's entire history. And he picks the correct book that has account of Haman, you know? Um, It's all God's providence, right? Um, And it changes Israel's fate from a nation that is condemned to being annihilated to being persevered and now scared. People are fearful of it, right? Um, So God's providence is everywhere. He's working all things, right? There's no such thing as as coincidence. Um, It's only by his providence that anything and everything happens. And we see him work it for the good of his people. So what does Hebrews 1 verse 3 tell us? So that passage says, He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Speaking of Christ, right? Christ upholds the universe. He's in control of all things. And even when the covenant community is in a bad situation and not behaving properly, God will preserve it, right? So even bringing it to the church, the church is not like any other organization in the world right? The church is not a social club, it's not a society, can't be compared to anything. The church exists purely by God's grace. So even when the church is beginning to assimilate into the culture and is starting to move away from the Lord's commands, God will keep his people, right? God will keep them, he'll persevere them, even if they do wrong, even if they don't use his name, right? Um, He'll preserve them because they are saved by grace and not because of anything in them, not by being fantastic people. So, even that's what the, the sermon was about this past Sunday, right? We just looked at the gospel, going back to the core, full and free forgiveness from a God who loved us when we were at our worst, right? There's never been anything and there never will be anything in us that caused God to save us, <coughs> right? Uh, we do nothing to warrant God's mercy and favor. And it's a great encouragement, right? Because you and I, we find ourselves in uh, a, a secular culture, We we are tempted to assimilate even in ways that you don't see you know in ways that you don't really um, it's not like it's obvious looking at you in the mirror because it's kind of like it's the spirit of the age it's in the air you breathe you know you you don't notice it until you look down the line you're like this is who I've become right Um, we live in a Corinthian culture because uh, the, the culture that you see in Corinthians is the same culture that you see here in the book of Esther which is kind of our culture Right. It's marked by a lot of sexual immorality, uh, gross immorality, and a whole lot of other things that are just not good. So the whole thing with Esther is God's covenant community will be preserved by God, even when they're doing bad. Right? And God has given us victory over our enemies. And so our worship should reflect that. Right? See how the Jews celebrate here. You know, they celebrate like there's no tomorrow. Right? Celebration's bigger than the king's six-month party. And they're giving gifts to each other, and they're rejoicing. So when we come to worship the Lord, we should rejoice because he saved us, right? We all have that in common, right? We have the greatest reason to celebrate and rejoice and to be the happiest people um, on earth. And when we looked at Kings and Chronicles, we kept emphasizing the church, right? Build the church, build the kingdom of God. Uh, What we can take away from Esther is that the one thing we'll never have to worry about is the existence of the church, right? Right? It will never be eradicated, right? The Lord, the Lord Jesus is building the church. His, his sheep will never be snatched away. Um, so now there's, there's, there's a Greek translation called the Septuagint, right? I'm sure you guys have seen that word or heard it before. And they actually put additions into the book of Esther to try to make it more godly since it doesn't mention God. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do, which is ironic because like that's an ungodly thing to do, but... Um, they try to cover up the difficulties of the book because it's a difficult book because of the people we find in it, right? These are not good people. These are not good Jews. Um, it's not a book like I said that you look at and you think, "Oh, I hope my daughter grows up to be like Esther," you know, because you don't want that. Um, these Jews—they don't mention God. They don't do anything with the desire to glorify God, right? Esther is is told to not tell anyone that she's a Jew by her cousin Mordecai, right? And she goes and becomes part of the king's harem and she eats the king's food, which is not kosher. So she breaks all the dietary laws. Uh, Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And there's no reason really apart from his pride. Right. It's not like uh, he was told to worship him. It was just showing a sign of respect to a person the way you bow down to a king or, you know, you show respect, which is really a sign of pride. Right. Um, they try to make it seem like, oh, it's because I'm godly, he's godly, and he just didn't want to do this because, this is, you know, this is hey man. But that's not really what's going on in that passage, right? Um, but even when they do win the victory, right, and they kill their enemies, they don't praise God, right? They've won this great victory, the Lord has preserved them, but they don't give thanks to God. Um, they, they have this festival, but it's not God-honoring, right? God is not mentioned, so what's going on? Well, remember, the Jews are not in a good way. So this is all happening around 483 BC. So this is before Ezra had gone back to Jerusalem, right? All these, all these events um, to tell them to rebuild the temple. So these are the Jews who are not returning to the promised land, and they're living in Susa. And to a large degree, they've assimilated to the culture, right? They're thinking like pagans. But even though they don't remain faithful, who does remain faithful? It's God, right? The Lord remains faithful, and that's the amazing thing about this book in scripture. Even though God is not mentioned anywhere, he's everywhere, right? And you can't really deny that. So many seemingly random events happen, happen uh, events that have like massive consequences. But like I said, there's no such thing as coincidence, right? The Lord is sovereign and he worked everything that you saw in that book. So that's the book of Esther. Any questions? Any questions, comments? Yes. I have a question. Um, the woman that came to Estambula, they are the
1: room, they were also at the festival. Or was I have a daughter, I can
0: The woman, the, the young women that uh, described.